If you have your Bibles, uh, would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 7? As promised, we're going to be finished uh, by 8.30 or around there. So I've got 40 minutes on my uh, descending time clock, so we're going to be respectful of that. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 7. If you guys want to stand together as we read it, that'd be great. Uh, there are a lot of verses, as usual, that we're going to use tonight. Uh, and we're not going to stand up for each of them, but uh, for this first one we will. 2 Corinthians 8 and 7. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. He says, But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. In this passage here, the Apostle Paul makes reference to, an, to the church in Corinth. He shares with them about another church, the Macedonian church. And he said, whenever there was a need that came up in Jerusalem, the church in Macedonia, even though they were under a lot of pressure financially and politically and really didn't have much to give, they gave what they could and then they gave more than what they could. And they did it willingly. I didn't even ask for it. They just kept calling, can we be of service? So he was kind of throwing out a challenge to the church in Corinth. Look at the church of Macedonia and their generous giving. And uh, I commend you, church in Corinth, for many things that you do well. But I want to see that you also excel in this grace of giving. And I want to talk, we're going to talk this week and the next couple of weeks about the grace of giving. We're talking about the church, the local church, and how the church has the power to turn the world upside down or turn our city upside down. And we want to be a part of that. We want to be a part of revival and a move of God. And the grace of giving is a very important part, pragmatically, that we've seen that enables God to move in our midst. How many want, want God to move in your life, in your family, in your church? Praise God. Let's ask him for that right now. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this great honor to gather together and study your word. And we're praying, Jesus, that you would grant us understanding, insight, and revelation from your word. Let us leave here tonight changed, Lord God. And over the next couple of weeks, I pray that you would uh, do surgery on our minds and our thoughts, Lord God. And let the mind of Christ be in us, we pray, in the name of Jesus. And everybody shout out, Amen. 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 You may be seated. I have a biblical opening assumption, opening statement that I want to uh, kind of be the foundation for the next three weeks. And that is that it is impossible to become a fully developed follower of Jesus Christ without also becoming a fully developed steward of your resources. It's impossible to become a fully developed follower of Jesus Christ or a disciple without also becoming a fully developed steward of your resources. Everybody say the word steward, steward, stewardship. Steward is someone who takes care of something that actually belongs to someone else, right? A steward is not somebody that takes care of something that belongs to him, but a steward is someone that takes care of something that belongs to someone else. I want to share with you a, a little story. You probably have a story like this in your life, especially if you have children or grandchildren. 
that you could relate to. I'll just give you a story about a man that uh, uh, went out to uh, a sporting event at Dodger Stadium. And he took his uh, little nephew with him. His nephew wanted to go, and he loved Dodger Blue. So he took his nephew out, and um, uh, about the third inning, uh, the nephew said, let's go out in the, in the hall for a little bit. And so he said, sure. He loved his nephew. The nephew walked by the um, concession stand and, and saw a bag of Skittles. And uh, he said, he said, Uncle, can I please have a bag of Skittles? And the uncle, of course, loved his his nephew, so he reached into his pocket, pulled out a couple dollars, and, and gave it to the boy. And the boy ran up and, and purchased the package of Skittles. And so they went back to um, to the game and to their seats, and they were sitting there. And uh, the little boy was eating the Skittles one after another and had the color on the corners of his mouth and dripping down. And all of a sudden, Uncle's sweet tooth started uh, getting to him, and he said, Hey, Bubba. Do you do you mind if I have a couple of those Skittles? And the little boy looked up and said, No, Uncle, there's not very many left. They're almost gone. And so he just sat there and continued eating the Skittles. While the uncle is looking down and, and saying, uh, Did you forget that I was the source of those Skittles? That uh, I could, I'm bigger than you, by the way, too, and I could just grab the bag away from you and eat as much as I want. Did you forget that? He's thinking that. He's not saying it. And, uh, and I have the resources. If I wanted to, I could literally rain Skittles on your head. And uh, I, I, can, I can give you as much Skittles as you want, or I could give you no more Skittles. But the little boy was acting in a way that many of us act. Because the Bible teaches us The Bible teaches us that everything that we have comes from the Lord. The ability to earn comes from the Lord. And ultimately, it is His. And so the resources that we have, whether it's our talent, even our time, and our financial treasures are the Lord's. All of it. Somebody said, well, 10% is God's. No, 100% is His. Right? And we are stewards of the resources that he has given to us. And it's impossible to really become a follower, disciple of Jesus Christ without also becoming a steward of your resources. Not understanding this principle will cause you to consume, consume, consume with little regard to the ultimate ownership of what you have. Now, here's the deal. It's a little bit sometimes awkward to talk on the, on this subject in in a, a church setting whenever the the subject of money comes up everybody's like kind of gets that way a little bit and uh um and and there are a, a number of reasons for this but i want to make it plain to you today that i feel that this silence on the subject or discomfort with the subject is exactly what satan wants he wants to keep us from God's blessings. And while as preachers, pastors, teachers, sometimes we're a little uncomfortable discussing this subject, Jesus was not the least bit uncomfortable discussing this subject. In fact, he talked about it more than anything other than the kingdom of God. He talked about it more than prayer. He talked about it uh, uh, more than heaven, more than hell. He talked about it more than faith. He talked about the subject of money and possessions more 
than anything. See, here's two big points that I want you to think about right now. And, uh, and, and the two points are this. When we understand and practice biblical stewardship, that means believing and trusting and understanding that it all belongs to God and we are stewards of it, there's two things that happen. Number one, it brings about personal spiritual development, right? Because it's a part of growing as a disciple, as we'll study in the Scriptures. And you can't grow to your full level of spiritual development without an understanding and practicing biblical stewardship. You can be doing all the other things right. But if you don't understand this, you can't see full spiritual development and full surrender of your life to Him. So that's number one. And secondly, when we understand and practice biblical stewardship, the kingdom of God is fully resourced to move forward and to have revival and to see great things happen. Now, I want you to catch this point. I said two things happen when we understand and practice spiritual uh, um, uh, stewardship. Number one, we grow spiritually. Number two, the kingdom is resourced to go forward. I don't know if you know or not, but both of those things are absolutely contradictory to Satan's agenda on the earth. He doesn't want you to grow spiritually, and he doesn't want the kingdom of God to move forward. So if he can put a blanket of silence over this subject or make us so uncomfortable talking about this that we can talk about the importance of prayer and we can talk about the importance of unity and we can talk about the importance of faith and, and personal evangelism, but, but we're, we're uncomfortable talking about uh, the biblical principle of stewardship, uh, then he is uh, uh, enable, he's enabled to keep us from really developing spiritually and secondly, for the kingdom of God not to be fully resourced. Both of these positive results of understanding and practicing stewardship are at odds with the enemy's intentions. So the kingdom of God being fully resourced, if every believer, if every believer was a tither, as the Bible teaches, what is tithing? Tithing is returning to God one-tenth of what they earn any time they get paid or get an increase. If every believer was a tither, the ministry would be equipped. The church would be equipped for evangelism. The church would be equipped for expansion. And it would all be about reaching souls. If every believer was a tither. Amen. Now understand this. Tithe means tenth. Tithe means tenth. So to be a tither, it doesn't mean to make a contribution into a tithe account. To be a tither means whenever I get a check, I figure out what is 10% of what I've earned, and I use one of the avenues of giving to give that 10% to the kingdom of God in the local assembly. Now, this uh, principle is firmly established in Scripture. We'll just talk about a few Scriptures here. Leviticus 27 and 30 says, And all the tithe of the land, that means 10% of everything that the land produces, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's, and it is holy unto the Lord. So 10%, and specifically the first tenth of everything that I'm able to, 
to earn. And everything I am blessed with is the Lord's. And it is holy unto the Lord. Holy means set apart, right? Understand? Holy means set apart. It's set apart from the rest. So the tenth is holy and set apart unto the Lord. Numbers 18.24 teaches us what the tithe is for. It says, But the tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer as an heave offering unto the Lord, I have given to the Levites to inherit. This was one of the tribes of Israel who did not uh, inherit a piece of land that they could farm and get their own fruit from. They inherited no land. And so they didn't have livestock, they didn't have crops, and they were not responsible for tilling. They were responsible for the work of the kingdom, for the work of the house of the Lord. And so rather than them eating and being sustained from the fruit of the ground of their own inheritance, they survived and lived off of the tithe. So... The Levites were those that did the work in the temple and did the work of God, the offering of sacrifices, the interpreting of the law, uh, the servicing of the needs of the people as ministry. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul further uh, uh, establishes this principle in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 7. It says, Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? He's just asking a rhetorical question. How many soldiers do you know that serve in battle and don't get paid? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. The muzzle is not so the ox won't bite you. The muzzle is so the ox can't eat of the grain that it is working to trample out or tread out or break away from uh, the husk. It, it is, is it about the oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a harvest, material harvest, from you? Verse 13. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple, and that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. So in the New Testament church, the offering of the tithe, that which is holy, set apart, and sacred to the Lord, is for the living of those that do the work of the ministry. This can be the pastor and the staff of the pastor. This can be guest ministers and preachers and ministries. That they are sustained from the tithe of those that are members of the body of Christ, And those that are committed to doing what the Bible teaches in this principle. And here's the deal. If the members of the body of Christ, if the believers practice tithing, the kingdom moves forward and is fully resourced. And then the the, the church is able to 
The leadership of the church is able to add on staff members so we can have the world's greatest youth ministry, that somebody is shepherding the children so that somebody is shepherding the needs of the body of Christ and the kingdom of God can move forward. Everybody understand that. Just want to make sure you, you, you get this principle. And the ministries are expanded. I want to let you know that at Life Church we are committed to this principle. And we've shown that we're committed to moving the kingdom of God forward, to adding staff, to adding ministries and pastoral leadership staff uh, as the church grows, as the people of God tithe, so that the needs of the body of Christ are met and the kingdom of God goes forward. Because guess what? It's all about souls. Amen? Praise God. It's all about reaching more and being able to minister to more and being able to meet the needs of more people in our community that need this. And when the tithes are kept, or as Malachi says, stolen, in other words, it's God's and it's holy, but we take it for ourselves, then the ministry and the kingdom advancement is hindered. So this is tithing. Um, does somebody have an envelope? Can somebody grab me one of the tithe envelopes so maybe it's close by? And you'll see in a, in a tithe envelope that it says, yeah, grab me that one. That it says on the inside, tithes, offering. And so the tithe is the, the top thing. This is the tenth that we return to the Lord. So what is an offering? An offering would be anything that I give in addition to my tithe. Whatever I give in addition to my tithe. So my tithe I'm returning to the Lord. But an offering is what I'm giving to the kingdom of God and giving to the church in addition to our tithe. And um, so there are things that are covered with the, the, the offerings money in, in a local church, such as the utilities and uh, the rent and the mortgage. I, I, I forgot to tell you guys, these lights aren't operated by faith. They're operated by the utility division. And uh, there is expense for that. And also our offerings... Uh, can be given specifically to the mission fund to help support missionaries that are doing their calling overseas. Overseas. Also, there are special initiatives or meetings, uh, events that we uh, are pushing for revival, and a person can give. And most many of you have responded to that with offerings. Last week we did sheaves for Christ, and um, there was over seven hundred, seven hundred fifty something dollars that came in in the coin drive. Uh, for sheaves for Christ. And uh, so this is uh, uh, ways that we give in offerings. And I just want to share with you, there's a church uh, in Orange County that my friend pastors, and, and I was excited to hear the report that his church, just in offerings for sheaves for Christ, gave $27,000 this year for sheaves for Christ. Let's give them a hand. They did a great job in <laughs> sacrifice and committed to missions. Mother's Memorial. These are what we give above and beyond the tithe that is for the movement of the ministry, the fivefold ministry. The, I, I try to say the fivefold ministry, and I always get four and forget the fifth. It's uh, uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. I got them all five. Getting better at it. Amen. So, and, uh, and offerings, there's not a, a specific percentage or amount that's mandated from Scripture. It's as God moves upon your heart, as you cheerfully give 
But obviously, in order for bills to be paid, uh, there have to be those that are committed to consistent offerings in addition to their tithes in order for the kingdom of God to move forward. And what I have been taught growing up and what I've practiced since I uh, first got a job, and, and there are others in the, in the body that practice this as well, is that they give the first tenth to the Lord, and then in offerings they give another 5%, maybe 2% for the missions work, and another uh, 2% for general offerings, and maybe 1% wherever they want to go, and it's obviously at a person's discretion. Start at 5% and then let it grow. And you know what I'd love to do? I'd love to do what Rick Warren does. He practices reverse tithing. What's reverse tithing? He lives off of 10% and gives 90% to the church. Wouldn't you love to be able to do that? Because, you know, in order to do that, you've got to be making some serious jack-o'-lantern. You know what I'm saying? Amen. And, uh, but it just, it's about committing and watching it grow. Because the Bible teaches this principle that you cannot outgive God. And when you give, it comes back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. See, the problem is, though, when we have a carnal mind, what does the carnal mind say? The carnal mind said, 100% way, way better than 90%, right? You can do way more with 100% than you can do with 90%. But the spiritual mind says this. The spiritual mind says that when I return the tithe, God blesses the 90%. Amen? And all curses are removed from the 90%. And, it's, and He's going to rebuke the devourer for my sake. And He's going to make it go further than it ever would. And He's going to bring all kinds of blessings into my life as a result of it. Amen. And so, as we said, there are two things that happen. Two, two great things that happen when we practice and believe in tithing and offerings is that the kingdom of God is fully resourced and personally spiritual development is happening. Because Matthew 6.21 says this, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, if this is a subject that we're uneasy or nervous or afraid to talk about, and there's silence on this subject or darkness on this subject, it keeps people in the dark. But when we're brought into the light, there is power to bring freedom and change. And so we want to bring this principle repeatedly to your attention and to the attention of the new members of the body of Christ and everybody that are wanting to grow as Christians because this is a significant part of growth. As I said, this was Jesus' favorite subject to talk about, second only to references to the kingdom of God. Talked more about money and possessions than faith and prayer combined. Amen. So that means in order for me as a pastor to keep up with Jesus in terms of percentage-wise, I would have to preach a whole sermon on this every third Sunday. That's how important and significant it was. Why? Why? Jesus understood that the issue of money and possessions had power to consume and derail us quicker than anything. He knew that where a person's treasure is, their heart was going to be also. See, it's a heart issue. The treasure reveals the condition of a person's heart. And I've wondered before, why the emphasis on giving? God doesn't need our money. He has everything in the first place. It's not about what he needs. It's about us. 
following, obeying, trusting, believing. Yeah, it takes faith to believe that God can meet my needs with 90%, right? Or 85%. That God can meet my needs and prosper me. But you know what? When you begin to operate in faith, you give God room to move, and you're showing, I believe, I believe, amen? It's, it's easy to say you believe. It's a lot more difficult to show you believe, amen? And this is how we do it, and this is why it's an important part of discipleship. There's a fundamental connection between a person's spiritual life and his attitude toward money and possessions. And often, we as pastors, we'll talk about everything else, trying to grow people spiritually in every other area of spiritual maturity. But we don't talk about money. But proper stewardship is an essential element of every believer's growth. So my question is, can we talk about this discipline just as naturally as we discuss growing in Christ or loving our neighbor or sharing our faith or prayer and Bible reading? Can we talk about that? Is that okay with you? We're going to do it anyway. All right. He said, I want you to excel in this as well because it's a part of discipleship and you cannot become, as I said, a fully developing follower of Christ without it. But here's the deal. The Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, is at work in this process. It's kind of like when somebody is saved. The Bible says, how shall they hear without a preacher? It has to be delivered to them. The gospel has to be preached in a clear and a convincing manner. But guess what? The preacher didn't save nobody. It was the Spirit of God that drew them. No man cometh to God save the Spirit draw them. So it's the ministry's responsibility to preach the gospel, make it plain, let people see it in the Word of God and understand it. But guess what? You can't make anybody get saved, right? I could bring a fire hose and spray them and say in Jesus' name, but that ain't going to do any good, right? Because they've got to be operating in faith. A person has to choose and decide. But guess what? It is a work of the Holy Spirit. And the same is true with stewardship and tithes and offerings. That nobody can force anyone to do it. But this is a work of the Spirit. I can't force anybody to give their heart to God and repent. And I can't force anyone to tithe. It is an issue of the heart. But it is led by the Spirit of God. Amen. There's one thing that I learned from my pastor, my father is that stewardship is a primary means of gauging a person's spiritual growth and spiritual health. Unlike other spiritual disciplines that we teach and preach, like prayer, Bible reading, evangelism, sharing your faith with people, stewardship is something that we can teach and then track. Understand? We can teach it and see... If an individual is doing it, it's a unique opportunity for us to keep our finger on the pulse of a person's spiritual development. Kind of like the the, the doctors checking the vital signs, right? And there's certain things maybe that he or she can't check, but there are certain things that he can check. And this is something that uh, 
As, as uh, my pastor taught me, this is a sign of a person's spiritual development when you begin to see them practice stewardship, when you begin to see them become faithful with the first tenth of their tithe. It is a sign that there is spiritual development that's happening. And when you don't see it taking place, there's something hindering their spiritual development. There's something happening that is causing it not to develop. But it works both ways as well because uh, um, <clears throat> because. When someone begins to practice this, God is working and developing that person. And they are growing and they are surrendering. And, uh, and they are putting God first. And they are recognizing God as the authority in their life. But also on the other side, when, when you see somebody drop off or stop tithing and giving offerings, uh, then it is a sign of something happening or problem spiritually that gives you an opportunity to step in. And my dad taught me this a long time ago. When you see it fall off, you better step in and find out what the problem is because there's something else happening. And maybe there's an opportunity for you to minister. It is a vital sign that enables us as the ministry to see whether a person is developing spiritually. And, of course, a person's tithing record is not going to show everything. Some can be developed in one area and under, underdeveloped in another area. But one thing is for sure, it is a helpful tool in determining where a person's heart is. Where a person's heart is. Malachi 3 and 8, in in the book of Malachi, it teaches this principle very clearly. This is the final book in the Old Testament, a bridge to the New Testament. Malachi 3 and 8 says, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. And so we bring this out in the light because how long can we keep allowing people to rob from God and it not affect our whole church and our mission of what we're seeking to accomplish with God's direction? How many believe we're a part of something that's God-ordained here? Amen. How many believe this is spiritual, what we're doing here in the kingdom of God? That revival is God's plan. How many believe that? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And we're here together. Not just the pastor, but all of us. You're here as a part of this assignment from God to reach and to minister to people in our area. Malachi 3.10 Bring, all, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, test me, the Lord says, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. God says, test me. Just try it. Try it for six months. Try it for a year. Amen. Bring the tithe into the storehouse. All the tithe. Bring your offering. And the Lord says, see if I will not put some blessings on you that you won't even have room to contain. Anybody believe the word of God? Not even room enough to receive. And it may not just be financial blessings. You've got to look around and see some of the other things God's doing for you and some of the other doors God's been opening for you and some of the ways God's been blessing your family and opening the doors to ministry and opportunity. Amen. 
It's a blessing from God, and it works. It's a promise from God. And think about everything that God's given to us. He gives us our breath. He gives us our life. He gives us energy. He gives us a place to live. Amen. And, and we, we live, move, and have our being. He died on the cross for our sins. He gave his son. Amen. Praise God. How in the world could we be stingy with God after all he's given to us, especially when he went so far as to challenge us and say, test me and see in this area if I will not bless you. Amen. Praise God. Well, God's given us a test every couple of weeks. First and the 15th or every weekend or once a month. Every time we receive a paycheck, it's a test. And what's the test? The test is, who are you going to thank for your provision? Who are you going to thank for your income? Are you going to thank him or are you going to thank yourself? The test is, do we believe the money is ours or do we believe that we are stewards of the resources that God gives to us? And this is how we pass the test. Remember the Skittles? Amen. Remember the Skittles? They came from him in the first place. And he says, can I have some? For my kingdom's sake. Amen. He could go buy his own bag. I know that. But he wants to find out about us, whether we understand who is the source. Amen. And who has blessed us to begin with. Praise the Lord. Amen. But understand that it is difficult, especially when a person uh, is, is introduced to this and begins. It's difficult because we live in a culture that has a very mind mentality and and generosity kind of runs counter to this idea of self-preservation. And many in our world today are at the like the fine cutting edge of survival uh, with uh, bills and um, uh, debt and uh, credit card and, uh, and all the things that we have to meet. Also, we have this problem of a carnal mind versus a spiritual mind. Tithing is nonsense to a carnal mind. Tithing makes all the sense in the world to a spiritual mind. And guess what? We kind of go back and forth a little bit, don't we? Between the carnal mind and the spiritual mind. Because we live in this flesh, we live in this world, we face real issues and challenges. But here's a passage I want to bring to your attention, and we're about out of time here. We're going to wrap this up. It's Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. Jesus Christ says, No man can serve two masters. You can't have two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other. Or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. What is mammon? Anybody ever wondered that before? You can't serve two masters. And here's the two masters. God and mammon. Jesus says here that it is possible to serve mammon instead of serving God, but that it is impossible to serve both at the same time. There is no middle ground. We will love one and hate the other. There is no half and half. So let's talk about what in the world is mammon. Mammon is an Aramaic word that means riches, wealth, avarice, or desire for riches and wealth. 
Mammon was an Assyrian god of riches. And guess where the idea of mammon came from? Babylon. And it is connected to the Tower of Babel. I'm going to make this plain to you right now. What, why did they build the Tower of Babel? Why? The Tower of Babel is the birth of humanism. What does that mean? Humanism means we're going to try to do without God, and we're going to work it out on our own. What was the Tower of Babel? We're going to build it so high that God can't destroy us with a flood anymore. So we're going to trust ourselves instead of submitting to God. And this is where the idea of mammon comes from. It is trusting riches instead of trusting God. Just like they trusted the tower instead of trusting God. Do you guys get that point? Or I need to bear down on that a little bit so you understand. This is the spirit of mammon. Mammon says, you don't need God. You are self-sufficient. What you need is money. You don't need God. Trust in riches. Mammon tries to replace God with things. And mammon is the spirit that rests on money. Anybody got a dollar bill or a $5 bill or a $10 bill I can use right now? Dig around. Somebody, they gave, all, they gave it all in the offering, didn't you? Amen. Or if you're like me, you, you carry very little cash anymore. Somebody find something, brother. Yeah, I'll give it back to you, I promise. All right. Amen. $5 bill. There's a spirit of mammon on money. A spirit of dependence on wealth and dependence on riches. Mammon is the spirit that rests on this money. But let me tell you this. Money that is devoted to serving Him rather than trying to replace Him is blessed by God and released from a curse. Amen. So if I look at money as my source, and I look at money as, and, and it's, it, we got to be careful because this, this can come up on all of us. If I'm trusting in money instead of trusting in God, it's the spirit of mammon. And the spirit of mammon is on money. Amen. But when we return the tithe to the Lord, it re, 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 reverses or releases the curse of mammon from money. Because what we're saying when we give our tithes is, I'm not trusting in money, I'm trusting in Him. Does that make sense to everybody? Amen. When we use it for ourselves, we're saying, I need the money, I'm trusting, I'm depending on the money. When we give the tithe, we're saying, I'm trusting God. Amen. And then the curse is removed from the 90%. And it's blessed of God. That's why it multiplies. That's why God brings blessing through it. Amen. Because money is not evil. But the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. Amen. That's what the Bible teaches. Mammon promises to insulate us from life's problems and is the answer in every situation. Amen. Nothing more than mammon stands in opposition to God and his ways. Jesus says you'll either love one or despise the other. Many times when we're under pressure, the thoughts come to us and we may even speak it. It's like I need one of two things. I need a miracle or I need some money, right? I need a miracle or I need some money. God or mammon, one of you two help me out, please. 
daughter mammon i need your help somebody drop a truckload of cash on me and we daydream about winning the lottery anybody done that before what would i buy first of course i'm going to give god his and then sweepstakes anybody readers digest the big fat check they come out with right or the death of a wealthy relative and you're 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 praying for him to get well but you're not praying real hard amen Mammon tries to position itself as a substitute for God. And when you begin thinking that most of our problems could be solved by having more money, it's a sign that we're under the influence of the spirit of mammon. And all of us are subject to it. God and mammon are both speaking to us, sometimes whispering, sometimes shouting. Praise God. But it's the love of money or the service of or the honoring of money that is the root of all evil. Mammon says to take. God says to give. Mammon is selfish. God is generous. Praise God. Amen. So understand that God doesn't need, I'm out of time. God doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our resources. When we're teaching our children, the Bible, this is the last verse I'm going to read. When we're teaching our children, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. We talked about the honor guard. Proverbs 3, 9 says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. Honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits of all your increase. In verse 10, So shall your barns be filled with plenty and your presses shall burst out with new wine. In a way, it's hard to teach on this subject because it's a little awkward. In another way, it's easy because there is so much resource material in the Bible about the promises of practicing, believing and practicing stewardship. So when you're teaching your children, when they get $10 at Christmas, you teach them the first tenth belongs to the Lord. Is that because the church needs their dollar? Uh-uh. It's so you teach them to honor God, honor His Word, honor the principle of putting Him first. And you teach this, you put this into your children. Amen. And you put the fear of God into them. And they realize, amen, that that when I give this to God, He's going to open up blessings in my life. Praise God. This is the Word of God and it's true. And we got a lot of people in this house that could stand up and grab this mic and give me testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony that God makes good on His Word. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's stand together right now. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your Word and we pray, dear God, that it would find a resting place in our heart. That, Lord Jesus, as it's brought into the light, this principle and understanding of Scripture, that we would take hold of it And grasp it and understand it, Lord Jesus. And grow as Christians, learning how to trust you. Learning how to put you first. Learning how to release control. And learning, Lord God, that uh, you are our source. uh, And trusting you. And opening up, Lord God, the windows of heaven to pour out blessings and favor upon us. We thank you for it in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, Amen. Put your hands together for the Lord Jesus Christ.